the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Is there something wrong with your friendship, but you can't figure out what? Are you left wondering if everything is in your head? Unfortunately, toxic friendships happen to everyone, but we seldom pause to identify the underlying issues when we experience friendship breakup. Too often, we're left bewildered and it's difficult to move forward. Joining us today to talk about ways to recognize relationships that may not be right for us is Mary Demuth, author of The Seven Deadly Friendships. Mary is a writer, speaker, and podcaster who has authored 35 books. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining us. So great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So Mary, this topic, this is something that just about every one of us has dealt with at one point or another in our life. And and I certainly have. I mean, I've had friendships that fell to the wayside and I have no idea why. So you have been through the same experiences and, and you know that pain that's associated with the loss of a friend. How have you personally been able to move past these relationships in order to trust and love someone again? That's a great question. And I wish I could say that I'm so perfect at it now that I've written this book, but it's still really hard. I mean, just to be honest, it's hard to get over it because I believe that we're made for relationship. And so when that relationship sours for whatever reason, um, it's it's a loss. It's a grief. Um, I think I'm better now post book at recognizing certain types of people that may not be good for me. Um, But I've also been able to see some reconciliation over the years of some broken friendships too, which was really heartening. Uh, I think for me, it's keeping my heart tender. And so that if that person comes back and we have a good conversation, it can actually reconcile instead of me being angry about it. Well, and, and Mary, healthy relationships, they should bless us. They, they shouldn't drain us. So let's talk about what you believe are the seven deadly friendships. What are they and what are the typical traits of each? So I base these on the seven deadly sins that we find in Proverbs 6. And I realized that those uh, those sins were relational in nature and connected to a trait. So the seven deadly friendships based on that are narcissist Nolan, so someone who is um, self-absorbed to a very large extent, Unreliable Uma, that's a fair weather friend. Predator Paige, she's probably the most deadliest of the friends because she preys upon you. Uh, Conman Connor is someone who sees a relationship um, only in terms of money signs. So this is maybe the person who friends you on Facebook after years of never seeing them and wanting you to buy essential oils or something of that sort. Uh, Tempter Trevor is someone who causes you to violate your conscience. Saker Fiona is someone you don't really know. You think you do, but she morphs into whatever situation she's in. So you're never quite sure who she is. And then Dramatic Drake, and that's just our dramatic friend who thrives on drama and seems to have to create drama in order to be happy. So, Mary, what did you discover about these friendships when you wrote about them? Well, I I discovered that, um, first of all, that I'd had all seven. So that was kind of a bummer to find out. 
Um, and that uh, some there's a variance of degree of how you deal with these people. Um, I would not say that, oh, well, I have an irregular friend, so I need to break up with them. That's definitely not the heart of the book. In fact, every chapter, we ask the question, hey, am I one of these people? How, do I have some of these character traits? So it's not just looking at, oh, look at all these evil people outside of my door, <laughs> and I'm the perfect one. It's that we all can have these. And um, so I've learned in the aftermath that sometimes it means we just have to have some on- honest conversations about things, misunderstandings, and sometimes it means we have to set up some boundaries, say, hey, I can't stay in this relationship because of this, and that's okay. And I think that's a, a really important lesson because – you know, we like to blame everything on other people. I mean, it's so easy for us to say this relationship broke up because of you, Mary, and I had nothing to mm-hmm. do with it. So I think self-reflection is is really important to have this information and to see whether or not we see ourselves in any of these characteristics, because, you know, you have to be a good friend to have a good friend. Exactly. And I think I finished up the book and as I've been listening to people's stories um, and the aftermath of all of it, I'm learning that make choices every day to be the kind of friend we want to have. You know, as, as the words were leaving my lips when I said you have to be a good friend to have a good friend. Yes, that's truthful. But there are situations where you are a really good friend and, and you've done mm-hmm. everything that you could possibly do, and still the friendship fails. So what did you learn about those situations? Well, I'm um, one of those hanger-oner friends. Mm-hmm. I, Me too. Uh, will, <laughs> I will stay with you till death. Um, and so it's been hard. Usually it's someone else breaking up with me because I'm going to cling forever <laughs> to that relationship. <laughs> Uh, so what I've learned is that sometimes there are seasons of friendship, and I have become a lot more peaceful when I finally realize that, that there may be this friend in your life for four years, and it was a great friendship during that duration, um, but it just isn't serving its purpose anymore, and you both faded away, or maybe you moved away, or they moved away, or they went to different churches, or whatever reason it might be, you might be in a different life stage. Um, you know, maybe they're sick or maybe you're sick or there's all sorts of reasons, but to hold that lightly and to say, you know, it doesn't mean that it has to be so terribly awful. It can just simply be a friendship of attrition where it just kind of fades away and, and you have to make your peace with it. I spoke with, with a man who wrote a book about relationships and he told me something that really stuck with me. and, And it's something that I, I I keep in the back of my mind, and it's actually helped me a lot. He said that relationships teach us lessons that we could learn in no other way. So when you have a breakup with a a friend, which is a breakup like any other one, you have to look at that relationship and almost say it's a blessing because whatever you've learned from that, you could not have learned in any other way. And and I take comfort in in that thought. I do, too. I think that's a brilliant way of saying it. And I I truly believe that we our growth is dependent on being in relationship. We grow through community. And so if we isolate, which which is what can happen to us if we've been in a deadly friendship or a deadly relationship, we can just make all these vows and say, well, all people are terrible and I don't ever want to be hurt again. So I'm not, I'm going to cut myself off from human beings. And that works in the short term. You won't be hurt, Mm -hmm. but you won't grow either because we grow through community and through relationship. Yeah. If if we try to self-protect too much, we build those walls and yes, we keep the pain out, but we don't let the love in. That's exactly well put. So, I know for myself, I'm a giver. And, and, you know, you were joking before, we're with someone for eternity. I mean, I will forgive anyone of of pretty much anything. And what I find is I keep attracting the same type of person. Why do you think Uh that's the case? What did you learn about that? Yeah, one of the things I learned was that for me, and this isn't everybody, but for me, a lot of the reasons why I was attracting the same types of people uh, went back to my childhood. And I was raised in a home where there was a narcissist and where there was a predator. And I found myself continually chasing after narcissistic predators or predatory narcissists for years. And I kept asking myself, why am I chasing these people who are just awful to me? And I realized what I was trying to do was to complete an incomplete story. So I thought in my mind, and this is all subconscious, I wasn't thinking it logically. 
but in my heart, I was thinking if I could just get someone who is narcissistic to love me, mm-hmm. I could prove that I was lovable to my family of origin. Or if I could mm-hmm. just get a predatory person to really love me, I could prove I was lovable to my family of origin. When we're in these relationships and we're repeating these types of mistakes and we're attracting the same type of people, I know for myself I often look at the person in the way I want the relationship to be and not necessarily in the way it actually is. For example, before I got divorced, I remembered my husband, how he was or how I thought he was and not how he Mm -hmm. really was. So how do you believe we can tell when it's time to walk away from a relationship when there's nothing else that you can really do except distance yourself? Right. And those um, in the book tend to be the narcissist Nolans and the predator pages because Mm -hmm. they be the hardest, more abusive type relationships. And one of the things I would say is we must look at actions and not be persuaded by words because people who are off in that way often are very good at convincing us with their words that they'll do better or we're crazy. We didn't see it that way. So we have to look at what are they actually doing um, and as we and, and as objectively as possible. And in terms of separating from them, um, it's OK to separate from people who are um, damaging to us because we, too, are allowed protection. Mary, what about um, we're talking about friendships and relationships, but what about when the the deadly person is part of your family? And it's very difficult to disconnect. How can we self-protect? Well, there's some great books out there, Changes That Heal by Cloud and Townsend and Boundaries. And those have been really helpful to me in creating healthy boundaries around myself, even to people in my own family. And to be honest, I really feared it. Um, I thought it was being mean. And so it took me a long time to finally enact some boundaries that were for my health and really for the greatness of the relationship, because I realized that if I continue to engage in that relationship on a heart level, I was going to be destroyed and um, I there would be no hope for reconciliation because my heart would be so damaged. And so actually creating a boundary is a positive thing because you're saying, I love you enough to heal so that perhaps there could be reconciliation in the future. But I also love you enough to want you to be your best self and you damaging me is not your best self. So I'm going to separate. And so we can create those kind of boundaries, even with our family. And, and I can honestly say that in one of my difficult relationships where I enacted very severe boundaries for several years, um, that relationship has come back to me. And um, I don't think that always happens, and that it's not a promise, but um, those boundaries did not ultimately harm the relationship. In fact, it allowed for a pathway to reconciliation. We now know that there are relationships that don't necessarily serve us well. How can we discover the type of toxic relationship that we might be in? Well, um, folks can go to 7 com and they can take a quiz that will help them determine what type of person they're dealing with. And as I said earlier in the broadcast, um, the ones that we tend to want to walk away from are the predators and the narcissists. But it's also really good intel to find out, oh, wow, that person is really dramatic. Maybe that will help me to, in knowing that and how to love them and how to work through our issues together. So is there anything else that we can do with this knowledge outside of just saying maybe, you know, I can learn to work better with this person? Is there is there something else that it can help us with? I think it just helps us in life to have more discernment. I think a lot of people when they, you know, talk about how they'd like to be better or they'd like to have better skills in something, discernment comes up really high because we would love to be able to prevent further pain in our lives. And to have that ability to say, oh, that's what that is, and um, to take cautionary uh, measures um, when we encounter someone who's irregular or toxic. One of the things that I've noticed with certain friends, that friendships that have fallen to the side, is that people would rather walk away from a relationship and throw years into the garbage than say they're sorry. And I, I never understood that. I would say I'm sorry if... I ever did something that I believed hurt somebody. Why do you think that those two words are so difficult for people to speak? 
Well, I think it goes back to the the age old sin of pride um, that is kind of the linchpin sin sin of all sins. Um, I don't want to admit that I did something wrong. And uh, I mean, really, that's a spiritual issue. And so Mm -hmm. if if you find yourself, I mean, I can't make somebody say they're sorry to me. And if I made them, then it really wouldn't be an apology. But I can look at myself. And if I'm in that space of not wanting to apologize, and I know I've done something wrong, then something's wrong with my heart. That's a prideful way to live, to never apologize. And I think the important thing there to remember is that in this case, it's about the other person. It's not about you. It doesn't mean you're you're not lovable. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. If the other person can't say that he or she is sorry, then that's really about them. It is. And I think, you know, we've all probably been in those places where we've done all sorts of gymnastics, jumping up and down and even admitting things we didn't do wrong to try to appease a bully-like person who will not apologize. And that is no foundation for a relationship. You sound a bit like me. I'm an over-apologizer. If someone looks at me wrong, I'll apologize for being in the room. (laughs) And uh, so it's hard for people like us, not that we're perfect or anything, but it's hard for us to understand people that won't admit it. And I think that's, um, that's a difficult thing to understand, but, and we cannot change that other person, but we can always ask the question, okay, what can I learn in this? And what are you having me to do in this situation? The book is The Seven Deadly Friendships by Mary DeMuth. If you'd like to get more information, you can visit the website, Seven Deadly Friendships.com. That's the number seven, Seven Deadly Friendships.com. Mary, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, I, I would say that our lives consist of our relationships and our happiness and our joy is um, derived from the, the goodness of our relationships. And so my heart in writing this book was listen, I know we all hurt each other. I know we have. Um, hard times, but ultimately, as I mentioned earlier, we grow through relationship. And so how can we figure out how to walk through and navigate these minefields in a way that we can still at the end of the day say, I can forgive, I can ask forgiveness, I can move forward, I do not need to isolate myself, and I can re-engage with the people that God has put in my life with joy. Mary, thank you so much for being here. We all have felt the pain of a broken friendship, and having a better understanding of the dynamics can help us to heal and move forward. It's not always easy to have and be a friend, but it is truly a rewarding experience. So thank you for sharing. My pleasure. Thanks so much. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973 Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. 
Do you worry about how to protect your family and valuables from intruders breaking into your home? Hi, I'm Dan Coleman, professional investigator and founder of Creative Solutions Investigative Services and Burglary Solutions. The thought of someone breaking into your home when you're away, or worse, someone entering your home when you're sleeping, is a frightening thought for all of us. Some simple steps can make a big difference in keeping your home safe and secure. Keep in mind that burglars and thieves want your valuables more than anything else. An experienced burglar knows that if they're confronted by a homeowner while committing the burglary, they could face more serious charges than if no one was home. So do everything you can to make your home look occupied at all times of the day. When it's dark, have multiple lights on timers, especially at dusk. During the day, make it look like there are children in the home. To protect yourself at night, make sure you have motion lights around the outside of your house and property. Did you know that most burglars are inside a home for less than three minutes? That's enough time to go to the master bedroom, steal jewelry or other valuables, and escape before the police arrive. So never store valuable or sentimental jewelry in a jewelry box inside your bedroom. Don't put off thinking about how to protect your home and family from a burglar until it's too late. If you need more information or assistance, you can contact me, Dan Coleman, through my website, csinvestigations.info or burglarysolutionsllc.com. Dr. Myra Wick, medical editor at the Mayo Clinic Medical, as well as a specialist in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Mayo Clinic. She's here today to provide strategies for a healthy pregnancy. Welcome, Dr. Wick. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me today. So, Doctor, having a baby is a miraculous and frightening experience. You're here today to discuss healthy habits and recent trends and technologies in prenatal care and childbirth. What are the usual tests that parents can expect during a routine pregnancy? So at the initial appointment, we'll have some routine blood work, um, looking at a a woman's hemoglobin level, looking for vaccination status, um, looking for certain infections like HIV and hepatitis. Um, Optional testing that's done a little bit later in pregnancy, um, typically any time between about 10 and 20 weeks. Um, is screening for genetic disorders. Um, And we do have some new technologies or newer technologies available for that screening process. Um, One of the newer tests is called cell-free fetal DNA or non-invasive prenatal screening, um, which is a, a newer tool that allows us to screen for common chromosome conditions um, during pregnancy, and that includes uh, trisomy 21 or Down syndrome, um, as well as trisomy 13 and 18, which are extra copies of chromosomes 13 and 18. Um, that test also allows us to determine the fetal gender um, as early as 10 weeks gestation. So. Um, That's one of our our newer genetic tools that we have available. Um, Later in pregnancy, somewhere usually between 24 and 28 weeks, we'll check for gestational diabetes um, using a test where uh, usually a woman will intake some sugar and then we'll check her blood sugar levels an hour or so later. Um, And then at about 36 to 37 weeks, we'll test for something called group beta strep, Um, which is a bacteria that um, may be present in the rectovaginal area. Usually doesn't cause any problems for mother, but could cause a serious infection for baby if if the baby were to contract that during labor. So those are kind of our our standard tests as well as the the optional genetic screening that is available for for parents. So, Doctor, working on the assumption that we're discussing a healthy routine pregnancy without any type of of special requirements. What is a good eating plan that a mom-to-be should follow? I think um, a healthy, varied diet is is probably um, putting a a healthy diet in a nutshell, um, avoiding lots of um, highly processed foods, um, avoiding foods that don't give a lot of nutritional value, um, sugar, sugary foods, um, soda pop, those kinds of things, um, 
should should be used um, minimally or you know just a, a small amount. Um, it can be hard during the holidays to limit weeks and, and those kinds of things. Um, but you know, okay to treat yourself once in a while, but to to be aware of um, unhealthy food choices during pregnancy. Um, and also advocating uh, for an active pregnancy. So if somebody is accustomed to exercising, um, many times those same exercises can be continued or, or modified slightly during pregnancy. What if someone didn't exercise on a regular basis before pregnancy? Is it safe for her to begin a program while pregnant? It, it is, yeah. Um, some of the, the exercises that are um, very safe for most people during pregnancy would include walking or swimming. Um, there are some fitness centers that will have um, pregnancy sort of conditioning or working out um, during the pregnancy, and those programs are designed specifically for pregnant women and, and sometimes for women who weren't accustomed um, to exercising before pregnancy. So uh, we we do advocate for most women um, a healthy healthy lifestyle and, and trying to get some exercise during pregnancy. Dr. Diabetes is such a common problem today. How does this impact a developing baby? So gestational diabetes, especially if it's uncontrolled, if, if um, mom's blood sugar levels aren't aren't well controlled during pregnancy, um, can result in a, in a large baby. That's the one of the things that we worry about most, um, and that can have an impact during delivery. Um, there's something called shoulder dystocia, where the shoulders kind of get stuck because the baby has a larger a larger abdomen, um, and and that can result in some. Um, tense moments or even some emergencies during during the delivery itself. Um, we also know that there could be long-term consequences for that infant um, going forward. That infant might be at a higher risk as an adult um, for what we call metabolic syndrome, where that child might be at risk for increased risk when compared to um, a, a healthier pregnancy for things like diabetes as that child gets older, um, cardiovascular problems, um, hypertension problems, those kinds of things. Doctor, tell us about the book, the, the Mayo Clinic Guide to a Healthy Pregnancy. What type of information is contained in it? Um, so it's a comprehensive book that starts pre-pregnancy and gives couples tips uh, for making healthy choices before they even become pregnant, um, as well as for um, considering uh, different issues before coming becoming pregnant, such as um, you know financial status, are they ready to have a baby? Thinking about um, childcare, and that can be something that uh, couples have to start thinking about very early in pregnancy, arranging childcare well before baby arrives. Um, there are several chapters outlining month by month during pregnancy, uh, which includes information about how the baby's growing, um, the things that mom may be feeling or experiencing during each of those months, um, as well as um, some monthly exercises that are well illustrated and um, simple to do right in your own home with a minimal amount of equipment. So those are some of my, my favorite sections of the book. Um, there are also some, uh, there's a section on commonly asked questions, um, so that's a great reference for women who are um, experiencing things during pregnancy. Look, look that up as a, a source to see if that is um, normal and um, things that they might do, for example, if they're having Braxton Hicks contractions or um, they have questions about certain foods during pregnancy, those are all addressed in, in common questions section. Doctor, in our final moments, what are some new or growing trends that parents-to-be may want to know about? Um, well, I think some of the the newer technologies and screening tests available uh, for genetic screening. Um, I think being active during pregnancy is, is something that we're uh, really advocating, um, staying healthy and active. Um, some women are interested in um, pain management options other than medications during pregnancy, and we have a little bit of information on that as well. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. As I said in the introduction, having a baby is a miracle, but it can be very scary. And 
education, having knowledge, that can take away some of the fear. So thank you for sharing with us and for telling us about your book. Thank you for having me today. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. In a moment, cancer changed our lives forever. At this moment, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything, ever. At this moment, she wants to be in her own bed. I want to be back at school with my friends. I want to be outside playing. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Jeffrey Antonucci, went from being a bricklayer to a published author. In his new book, Deep within a blueberry sky, Jeffrey shares a story that teaches us how to deal with challenges, and he confirms that there are no limits or barriers to what a person can accomplish, no matter what the condition or circumstance. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thanks for joining us. Joan, thank you for having me. So, Jeff, you have such an inspiring story. You went from being a bricklayer to a published author. Was this something that you ever thought would be possible in your life? Joan, not in uh, a million billion years. <laughs> and uh, you could even take that to say, did I ever think I'd be interviewed by Joan Herman uh, for her radio show? And there again, I would say not in a million billion years. But uh, here we are. Here we are. So it is a true testament to how we need to believe that there are truly no limits to what we can do. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more because the fact that I'm doing this myself and talking to you, I would have never believed I would be doing it in a billion years. So those are the best stories. And that's what a lot of this book and and your life represents. So was it always a dream of yours to be a writer? It was not. It was not, Joan. Um, This idea came to me and this is how it, I say it this way, and this is exactly how it occurred, like a slideshow before my eyes, mm-hmm. just like that. And when I saw this slideshow, I saw it and I, I thought, my goodness, that's a beautiful story, and I'm going to write it. <laughs> but what I thought I was actually going to be writing was a small children's book, more along the lines of a picture book, because I had just seen images. I had just seen pictures. But when I started to write the story, the the words kept coming, the ideas kept coming, and I ended up writing a manuscript that was over 100,000 words. I know a lot of people who want to write a book, and they're so caught up in, before they sit down, they're so caught up in, in needing to know exactly how the project will evolve and what the story will be about. But what you just described is a beautiful example of just allowing it to flow and allowing it to come through you. And and it can take a wonderful turn and, and even surprise you. Without a doubt, without a doubt, that this is a perfect example of that, perfect testimony to that. Um, I think when you ask, you know, from bricklayer to published author, where I did not have, I didn't think, the capabilities of doing this, not one bit. And what happens is you, if you look at the big picture, it's like, okay, I'm here, and I'm going to climb that mountain, and that mountain is Mount Everest, mm-hmm. you're going to be intimidated. You're going to think of all the things that are going to prevent you that you don't have the capabilities of doing. See, all those things are going to come to mind. But this came little steps at a time. And a person has to believe, just like in this case for me, that what you need will come as you do it. Once you start, you take little steps at a time. And like a perfect example for me was when I needed an illustrator. The illustrator 
came. He was there, and he did a magnificent job. So I didn't have any of these things in place, totally thinking beyond anything I would be able to do, but then it came. It was, as you say, it started to flow, and, and everything I needed then came. So, Jeff, you said that this story just came to you. How did that happen? Were there signs, or how did, how did it come to you? Joan, there were. There were signs. Um, I was in a position, that I was in a job, that I was going to be losing that job. And I was quite concerned about where my next job was going to be coming from. And I was leaving that work there that one day, and a truck comes along, a pickup truck comes alongside of me, and on the back of that window of that pickup truck read, when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. And it was within week, week and a half, after that, reading that what was on the back of that guy's pickup truck, the idea for this story came to me like a slideshow before my eyes, and I knew I was going to be writing it. Once I started to write the story, now, Joan, I have to tell you, I didn't own a computer in my home back then. Mm-hmm. I can't even type, okay? <laughs> but yet I went and got my computer because I finished up that job. I wasn't now working. I went and got my computer. I sat down and I started to write this manuscript. That week when I started it, I drive by here in my town past the church where they have a sign out, and they always have either, you know, verses from the Bible or scripture or whatever on that sign. When I drove by that sign that day, when I had just started to write the story, the sign read, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in you. I actually stopped and took a picture of that sign. Nine months later, when I finished writing the story, I rode past that sign, and the sign read, Love's redeeming work is done. And there were other signs as well. There were other signs as well, but those were the, you know, some of the biggest ones, I will tell you. There are signs all around us when we take the time to pay attention to them and we allow them into our life. So true. So true, Joan. Jeff, was this always the way that you lived your life? Did you always believe that things would come and and did you always follow your dreams or was this something new for you? So, you know, uh, Joan, we have the ability to do everything and anything we desire. If the inspiration guides you, allow it, go with it, go with it. Everything you need will come as a result. It could be writing a book. It could be learning how to play a beautiful instrument, any art. You could be a, become a beautiful artist, magnificent artist. It's in you if that's what you're inspired to do. Well, and that's your story. What type of lessons are you trying to convey through the story that you wrote? I feel that there are so many wonderful, positive messages within this story. Accomplishment truly believing there are no limits to what you can do. Love. Love is throughout this story, and it shows when love is given, how it then is received by that person, and how they then take that love, and and they spread it, and it grows exponentially. All good comes from love. So I pray, and I believe it is, uh, a message that needs to be put out there to help people truly believe that that is the case. Love. My goodness, Joan, it's what our world needs more now, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It it is the cure-all, I believe. I agree. And Jeff, is this story based on anyone you know? You know, uh, Joan, there there are characters in the story throughout Mm -hmm. that are named after... Like my mother, the young girl in the story, her name is Sarah. That's my mom's name. That's my mom's name. Oh, my goodness. Uh-huh. Isn't that amazing? Wow. <laughs> Two That's Italian amazing. moms named Sarah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yes, yes. So, you know, a, a lot of the experience I had growing up in a beautiful, large uh, Italian, you know, world of Italian descent and things mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, love isn't just exclusive to Italians. It's throughout all cultures and it's family it's the love you feel within 
being with your family and knowing they love you and they're sharing their love with you, right? And so there are many experiences that, or I guess I could say things that occur in the book that I experienced myself. Jeffrey, you keep saying, and I couldn't agree more, that what the world needs more today of is love. So what is your hope for this book? I desire that this book, the story, the messages can go out there and do good. I, I believe that there are folks just, you know, it could be under any circumstance, they, they feel that again, they, they don't, there, are, there are limits to what they can do. This story will prove otherwise. The book is Deep Within a Blueberry Sky. Jeffrey, if our listeners would like to get more information about the book or you and your work, where can they go? Uh, they can go to my website, which is inspiredworks.net. Inspiredworks.net. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. As you said, it's time for more positive messaging, and, and certainly what this world needs more of is love. So I can't think of a better message to share with our listeners. So thank you for joining us. Joan, thank you so very much. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you are a caregiver, you know firsthand it's not easy. Many caregivers feel as if they're losing themselves. It can be hard to know where you end and your loved one begins because they may have so many needs and in some cases are totally dependent on you. Hi, I'm Donna Sacconi, an integrative psychotherapist. Here are some tips for a good self-care practice if you're a caregiver. First and foremost, eat healthily and get the proper amount of sleep. Throughout the day, intermittently stop to pause and do two things. Tune into your body and notice the quality of your thoughts. Use deep belly or diaphragmatic breathing for a few minutes at a time. This supplies more oxygen to the cells, increases blood flow to the brain, and has been shown to reduce the stress chemical cortisol. Replace negative thoughts with positive ones. Negative thoughts keep us stuck and feeling like a victim. By contrast, positive thoughts lead to a sense of contentment and ease and will brighten your outlook on the day. Stretch your tight muscles. This not only helps relieve stress, but improves blood flow, reduces fatigue, and leaves you feeling energized. Use aromatherapy. Using essential oils can help alleviate distress, improve quality of sleep, and promote a sense of calm and well-being. Develop your support system. Research shows that having a support system not only leads to higher levels of happiness and satisfaction, but can improve your general health and keep your immune system strong. Commit to taking enjoyable breaks and do something relaxing or fun. It can be as simple as going for a walk in nature to connecting with a friend over coffee. To learn more, connect with me at DonnaSacconi.com. When someone is diagnosed with cancer, they are hit with a barrage of emotions such as fear, anxiety, depression, and desperation. Hi, my name is Roxanne D'Angelo, a certified Reiki master. What is most needed during this crucial time is knowledge that will empower us to choose the appropriate, traditional, and alternative treatments. Reiki is the perfect complementary medicine to incorporate into a cancer treatment plan that offers emotional support with many healing benefits. Reiki is a Japanese practice meaning transfer of universal life energy. It's like having your internal healing switch turned on. According to the American Journal of Integrative Cancer Therapies, Reiki was considered helpful in improving well well-being by 70%, relaxation by 88%, anxiety and worry 75%, pain relief 45%, improved mood 81%, and decreased fatigue. We have an energetic system called our chakras, which correspond to different parts of the body while governing functions of the organs and glands, as well as specific aspects of the mental, emotional, and spiritual dimensions. If any of these chakras are blocked, the energy cannot flow freely, resulting in dis-ease and dysfunction in that region. Reiki opens up these blockages, allowing energy to flow at a cellular level. Bottom line, Reiki is accepted and being used to help alleviate symptoms of cancer treatment and aid in quick recovery. If you would like more information, you can visit me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com or call 201-615-0960. Find out if you have inflammation before it becomes a major problem. Hi, I'm Lisa Mack, a certified clinical thermographer and founder of Lisa's Thermography and Wellness. Although this information is of particular interest to you if you're a woman, men will also find it extremely helpful. There's a new high-tech tool that specifically measures skin surface temperatures, which may indicate an inflammatory process. It's called thermal imaging or thermography. 
In a nutshell, this tool creates a digital map of your body that illustrates heat patterns, patterns that may detect inflammation connected to some kind of condition or abnormality. It uses a scanning type infrared camera that measures your body's surface temperature, presenting the information as a digitized image. These thermal images, called thermograms, are analyzed for abnormalities that may be signs of disease-causing inflammation in your body. Additionally, since your body is thermographically symmetrical, if normal, thermal asymmetries can indicate problems. So what could thermograms provide to you? It's not painful, non-invasive, admits absolutely no radiation, makes no contact with your body. It must be stated that they are not a standalone screening. They are FDA cleared for an adjunct to a mammogram. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Harriet Cabelli, a social worker and positive psychology coach who helps people grow through their challenges and rebuild their lives with renewed meaning and joy. Harriet is here today to discuss Japanese concepts that can enhance our lives. Welcome, Harriet. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. It's great to be here. So, Harriet, Japanese people have been known for the longevity and healthy lifespan. There are some wonderful Japanese concepts and life philosophies that can improve our lives and that have made their way into our culture. Can you tell us about two of them? Yes, and it's, and it's very interesting because um, one of the hot spots in the world, known as the Blue Zones, where people live the longest and the healthiest, is in um, Okinawa in Japan. Mm-hmm. And out of their culture comes many, many amazing concepts that we've taken on into our lives to really enrich them. So two of them are, the first one I'm going to speak about for a minute is called Shinrin-yoku, which literally means, Shinrin means forest and yoku means bath. So it means to forest bathe or to bathe in the forest. And it's become like a restorative or a rejuvenating therapy for people with illness, for people, well, for all of us nowadays going through tremendous anxiety and stress, it's a stress reducer. I mean, even if we just visualize the whole idea of being in nature, being amongst trees that are grounded, that are steady, that are strong with deep roots, and then there's this canopy of branches and leaves. I mean, even just thinking about it, not being there, it's very, very calming and soothing. And the Environmental Protection Agency has come out with a, with a statistic that says 93% of Americans basically spend their time indoors. I mean, I guess we can believe that one with all the technology and screens. So just the idea that we really need to get out there and that it's, it's, it's a way of immersing ourselves into nature, into trees specifically, and, and rejuvenate ourselves in our senses. And that's one. And the other one I, I would like to give voice to is known as Kaizen, K-A-I-Z-E-N, Kaizen, which means continuous improvement, continuous and constant improvement. It was really developed as um, in a business model as a business, to help businesses and organizations grow. And it's come down, again, to our personal lives in terms of how we can take very small steps in our lives towards our goals and what we want to do to improve ourselves. So those are two, those are the two general um, concepts that um, I just want to mention that we really can incorporate. So Harry, how can we bring these concepts into our lives? Yes, yeah, so specifically um, with, with the forest bathing, the Shinrin-yoku, that's just really a matter of prioritizing. That's getting out there, but it's prioritizing our time and saying what also matters is taking time off from from what we're doing, a lot of technology, a lot of indoor stuff, and getting ourselves out there and out there walking without the devices, without being hooked in, just getting out into nature, onto a trail, into a park, and walking amongst 
the trees, amongst nature, again, being unplugged and being able to be open to receive the enrichment towards our senses, to see, to hear, to smell, to touch. I mean, we've all heard of the idea of hugging a tree. There's something to be said for that. Just embracing and enveloping ourselves in something that's that's bigger than us, that's, that can really take us in under a bigger perspective, and that's called the, na- the natural world. So that would be how we would how we could bring that into our lives. Really, we have to choose to say, I'm getting out there. <laughs> I'm literally getting, putting myself out into, into, into nature. And in terms of Kazan, taking those small steps, I mean, think of anything. A lot of times, New Year's will say, okay, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to start eating healthy. But what does that mean? After a month, it's like we're, we, we fell off the wagon because we don't even know what, what to do. What are those small, tiny, tiny baby steps, the smallest step that can move us toward our goal that we could say we're 1% better. So, for instance, someone says, I want to eat healthier. Well, what does that mean? It would mean maybe what's one tiny step instead of putting, let's say, for example, instead of putting sugar into your oatmeal. Maybe you want to put cinnamon instead, which is known to lower blood pressure. Maybe you want to put fruit in to sweeten it up. Um, you want to you want to drink more water. How are you going to do that? Well, we all walk around with water bottles, but maybe we have to have some way of putting on our phone or something that every half an hour it beeps and we drink more water. So really small steps that we could build on and say, oh, I did this today. That means I could do it again tomorrow. So that's case and steps or tiny steps towards reaching a goal. And success builds on success. So when we feel good about doing one baby step, we say, hmm, I could do this. And that builds for the next and the next and the next. Harry, thank you so much for being here with us. If you would like to learn more about Harry and her work, you can visit rebuildlifenow.com. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.